shall God tell us this day? Let's begin with the prayer. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And for stop, prayer's over. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. How often do we say prayer and are not really conscious or aware of what we are saying? As a priest of a few years, I'm constantly amazed at people who would come to see me and they wanted to talk about someone who had hurt them deeply and how they couldn't forgive them. And we would talk for a while and I asked him, do you pray? And they always would say yes. Well, what do you pray? Well, I do this, then, because I say the Our Father every day. I said, well, let's say that now. And we start praying the Our Father, and just as I did, we get to the part, forgive us. I said, stop. You can't go any further. Oh, what? If you go any further, you're lying. What do we say in that prayer? Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. What we're asking God is, God, forgive me my sins in proportion to how I forgive someone who has hurt me. <laughs> They'd always say, well, Monsignor, you, you tell me I, I shouldn't pray. I said, of course you pray, but make your prayer honest. Don't say something you can't deal with. Don't say something you don't mean. Or don't say something you don't do. Let God know what you're struggling with. little catechism test here. When we begin, what's the very first part of the Mass called after our opening hymn? What's the first part of the Mass called? The penitential rite. Okay. The priest or the deacon, as we begin, invites us, let us now call to mind our sins. There should be a pause there. And then we pray for God's forgiveness. But the emphasis of the penitential rite is not so much on my sin as much as God's forgiveness. That's the emphasis. Now, for me to understand and participate in God's forgiveness, there are things I have to do, which we see in the first reading. If you recall the story, David lusted after a soldier, Uriah, lusted after his wife. And there was a big battle about to occur. So David purposely put Uriah on the front lines knowing that more than likely he would be killed. And that's what happened. And then David, King David, took Uriah's wife unto himself. And when he was confronted 
David did three things as we see in that first reading. One, he acknowledged his sin. That's always the first step. I have to acknowledge that I have sinned. And then David acknowledged he had sinned against Uriah. He took from Uriah what he had no right to take, his wife. And then David had enough insight to recognize he not only sinned against Uriah, he sinned against God. I am a sinner. So often we tend to focus on acts, and we have to do that. I have to know how I have sinned. But a humble heart is one who acknowledges before God, not just that I have sinned, but I am a sinner. Remember the story of the very, very important Monsignor who goes to the temple to pray with the scum of the earth? And they're standing in the temple praying, and the very important Monsignor says, Oh God, look at me. Why, didn't, why haven't you made more of me? I mean, am I not your highest form of creation? Look at the scumbag down here. He ain't nothing. Whatever I'm supposed to do, I double it. I don't only tithe, I double it and I do all. He says all this wonderful stuff. In other words, he didn't need God. His prayer was a fake. His prayer was a show. The bum next to him knelt down, wouldn't even look up, which in the prayer form of like this, he wouldn't even look up. He simply bent over it, struck himself, my God, forgive me, a sinner. He acknowledged his state of sin. We have to acknowledge, one, that we are sinful people. Now we have particular acts in which do I acknowledge I have sinned? Do I examine my conscience and see how my sin has affected other people? And thirdly, that truly have I sinned against God. But again, the focus is what? On God's forgiveness. God forgave King David. Forgiveness doesn't just end there. Usually when there's genuine sorrow and forgiveness, then one's life is usually changed. So a lot of times people will say, I can't forgive, and I will say, please, don't tell me you can't. Tell me you don't want to. Or for most of us, tell me it's just hard. Because there's something about us, un understandably, there's something about us that we want those who hurt us. Let's be honest, we want them to suffer in the same way that they have made us or our loved ones suffer. How many of us see a movie? <laughs> I do this all the time. How many of us see a movie when something is somebody is really bad and we're saying, man, I hope he gets his. Man, I hope he gets his. Remember the growing up, I don't guess they do this today. We grew up with the, the black hats were bad, the white hats were good, and westerns. <laughs> Here comes the good guy, he wore the white hat. The bank robber wore the black hat. <laughs> but... We want them to suffer the same way. How do we as God's people relate that to God? 
What does Jesus' death on the cross tell us? What, what is so hard for us to comprehend, to understand, and thus to deal with is God's forgiveness, which is so unconditioned and so unlimited. God doesn't have forgiveness that he dispenses. God is the essence of forgiveness. How, now question, again a little catechism here. When you go to confession or the sacrament of penance, confess your sins, how do you know that you are really forgiven? How do you know that you are really forgiven? I got all day, folks. Be brave. Be brave. The words of absolution. Is that what you said? Anything else? I like that. Accepting forgiveness. A lot of, you're right because a lot of people sometimes go through the motions, but they're still burdened by their sin because they can't accept God's forgiveness. Oh, God, it's too easy. God, I've really been bad. God, I want you to beat me up some more. Because that's how we treat each other. I may forgive you, but I want you to suffer a little bit, you know. So you know what you made me do? And therefore, although God is there to forgive us unconditionally and unlimited, yet I, I don't accept it. I don't let go of it. We deny the power of the cross. There's this thing. I've never done this. I'd like to go to it just to try those cookies. What do you call it? A cookie swap? Women, a cookie swap? Y'all make your best cookies and you go to some kind of a cookie party. Now, I understand the idea is you leave your cookies there, but when you leave, you take some of the other cookies and bring them home with you. And probably me, I take my own too. <laughs> bring my own cookies back. But that defeats the purpose of the party, doesn't it? We're all supposed to share. I've often thought about that sometimes when people are hurt and they're generally looking for God's forgiveness, but they can't feel the effects of God's forgiveness. But the bottom line is, is because they won't accept it. It's like taking your own cookies home. You deny, you deny, when I can't let go of my sin, I'm denying the power of the cross. God's forgiveness is there. I've just got to be sincere and honest in, seek, in seeking it. But my question was, how do I know that I am truly forgiven? And I know that simply when I become a forgiver. If I go to confession or in the heart confess to God for some serious sin I have committed, and yet I refuse to even consider forgiving someone who has sinned against me, I am kidding myself. If I think I have shared God's forgiveness, it isn't that God withholds it, it's that I'm not open to receive it as I should. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I want to focus not just on my sin, I want to focus on God's forgiveness. In that beautiful gospel story, we have a, a scene of, of attitudes. The rich person invited Jesus to dine. Now, of course, back in those days, they didn't have paved roads. And so, so it just, there were certain courtesies you extended a guest. One is when he came into the house, you had your servants wash his feet. 
wash his hands, and often his head because of the dust of the road. The Pharisee did none of that. He invited Jesus, but he offered him no, and this humble woman comes in. I have often asked myself the question, how did she get in there in the first place? I'm not sure. I read somewhere a commentary where it says, in those days it was not unusual when the rich had dinners and invited certain important people, ordinary citizens, the door was wide open, a wall wasn't even there, and you could sort of come in and sit around and watch and listen to the conversation, but you couldn't come to the table. So maybe that's how she got in. But because she was weighed down by her sin, she totally trusted in God's forgiveness. And because of the great love she showed, God said she was forgiven. And then I love Jesus' story. Jesus has a way of pulling the rugs out for under us. He didn't, he didn't yell at and get after Simon. He said, Simon, I'm going to tell you something. Oh, okay, Lord, what is it? And he tells a story that only has one answer. He, only, he tells a story that only has one answer. Who appreciates what the master did is the one who was forgiven more. This woman, in spite of all of her sins, has loved a lot more than you. Therefore, her sins as great, her sins as great as they are have been forgiven. See, that's really hard, really hard for us to grasp how God's forgiveness can be so unlimited and so unconditioned. But within me, am I struggling with forgiving someone? Let me close by just commenting on that for a couple of minutes. Hear me now. When you truly forgive someone who has hurt you, it's the most selfish thing you can do. Think about that. To, to, to generally forgive another is the most selfish thing you can do. Why would I say that? Because you get as much and more out of it as the person that you are trying to forgive. It frees you. It frees you. If you saw the movie, came out many years ago, called Dead Man Walking. <clears throat> it was about a young man who had viciously raped and murdered, a, uh, didn't murder the girl, but uh, murdered her boyfriend, and they were planning on getting married. And it tells the story about how all of her life, this young woman could not bring herself to forgive him. And she would never be at peace until he <coughs> got justice. <clears throat> and he was convicted on death row. And he eventually was put to death. And she finally had justice. But several years after that, she admitted, though, although she never had, although she did get justice, she was no more at peace than before. And she came to realize the reason she was not at peace is because deep down she had not forgiven him. And she came to realize that the only way she would ever have happiness again or be at peace is when she could forgive. And at the time she wrote this book, she was saying, I'm in the process now 
of trying to truly forgive him because only then will I be at peace. That's what I mean. Because when I pray for someone each and every day that I can extend them the same forgiveness that God extends to me, either one or a couple of things are going to happen. Either eventually I'm going to stop praying and nothing changes. Or I will continue praying and I will learn to forgive. And when I truly learn to forgive for the first time, I will be at peace and I will be free. And then I will offer to others the identical forgiveness that God offers to me.